God's grace, peace, and mercy be with you on this 15th Sunday after Pentecost through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Sometimes we have trouble imagining our relationship with the Holy Spirit. We don't have as much problem with God the Father. We're familiar with fatherhood. Same with Jesus. His humanity makes Him relatable to us. But the Spirit... Our relationship with the Spirit is more, I don't know, nebulous, (laughs) kind of vague. Sometimes we think about the Spirit as a gift. Peter spoke that way at Pentecost. Remember Acts chapter 2? You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we think of the Spirit as a helper. Jesus used that language at the Last Supper. I will send you another helper. Sometimes we think of the Spirit as a guide. Jesus told his disciples, he will guide you into all the truth. So how shall we think of our relationship with God, the Holy Spirit? A gift? Is he a gift? Is he a helper? Is he a guide? Well, those are all biblical truths about the Spirit, so I I guess they're all okay. But don't they seem too small? I mean, thinking about the Spirit as a guide, a gift, and a helper suggests that the Spirit is somehow at our disposal. Think about it. (laughs) We either use the gifts we receive or we don't use them and put them in a closet until we move and then we sell them at a garage sale or donate them to a resell-it shop. We ask for help from a helper. But only when we become convinced we can't handle something on our own. We look for guidance in our lives for many things, but only if we, can't find, if we can't find the way on our own. Notice that in each of these cases, we remain in charge. We control what we do with these things. And that just doesn't seem right when we're talking about the spirit of the living God. He's not at our disposal. He's not something we use only when we feel like we need him. It's more the case, the Spirit uses us. And we've got a word for this, you know. It's a good word, but it makes us a little uncomfortable. I'm thinking of the word possession. Ooh, kind of makes your skin crawl, doesn't it? Today, as we hear once again, one of the prophets of old, Amos, speaking the words of the Spirit... I'd like, to think, I'd like to think with you about that, about the Holy Spirit as one who possesses his people. That would also mean, I mean, if we were to follow this logic, that you and I are possessed. Yeah? And we don't talk much about possession, do we? It certainly isn't spoke of very much in the American church culture today. But go back 500 years, and you'll find it in Martin Luther's back baptismal booklet he says i appeal to all those who baptize infants or witness a baptism to take heart the tremendous work of god going on here you hear how earnestly the christian church brings the infant to god confesses before him with undoubting words that the child is 
possessed by the devil, and so diligently asked God to drive the devil away from the little child. It's unsettling to think of our children being possessed by the devil before they were baptized. It's unsettling to think that that was the case for all of us. It's a lot unsettling, actually. Think of all the demon possession movies the last 50 years, beginning with Rosemary's Baby. I mean, we've been conditioned to the point we hear possession, and where do our thoughts go? They immediately go to an evil spirit occupying the mind and body of a helpless victim. And that's in the Bible, too. Remember the man who lived in the graveyards of Gennesaret? Mark chapter 5 and Luke chapter 8. The man had a legion of demons. Technically, that's between three and 6,000 soldiers. But what the demon meant when he said legion was, there's a great number of us in here, in the man. Chains couldn't contain the guy. Night and day, he ran around without any clothes, screaming and cutting himself with stones. What a terrifying image. Or how about the boy possessed by a demon also in Mark? He foamed at the mouth and ground his teeth and the demon would cause the boy to throw himself into fire and water in an effort to try and kill him. Can you imagine such an existence? Possession truly is a horrifying thought. And here's why. The person who's possessed has no control, right? He or she is utterly at the mercy of their possessor. But imagine being possessed by a different kind of spirit. One who aims not to hurt or kill you, but one who restores and comforts and saves you. Imagine what it would be like to be possessed not by a legion of demons, but by the spirit of a gracious and loving God. Here's the thing. We don't have to imagine it. (laughs) It's real. It started at Pentecost with Peter and the disciples. The sound of rushing water and wind filled the house where they had gathered. Flames of fire landed on their heads and they started speaking an inspired, chaotic chorus of foreign languages. Peter was possessed by the Spirit. He started preaching the promises Jesus had given before he went up into heaven. And thousands of people got possessed by the Spirit that day and came to believe in Jesus and were saved. And it didn't stop there. These possessed believers continued to speak, right? And they told other people. And as they did, the dead came to life. People everywhere heard about Jesus and came to live also. The devil and his minions were driven out of people and they fled. Hearts were restored, lives were renewed, more spirit possession, more speaking, more being saved. The word of God spread and grew as the Spirit of the Lord took possession of those who heard and believed. The Holy Spirit's possessed you and me too. I believe that I cannot believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to Him but the Holy Spirit but by the Holy Spirit. You know where that comes from. Luther's small catechism. He's called me by the gospel and enlightened me with his gifts. 
That's what we confess. He has taken possession of us so that we are no longer our own. We're no longer in charge of our lives. We're no longer, we no longer live under the illusion of self-determination. We are at the disposal of the living God, you know. He made us. We are His. He has made us His dwelling place. He lives in each of us. We are His possession. We are His children. I'm not really a sports movie person, but I like that old movie Hoosiers. Remember that one? About the little podunk Indiana high school basketball team that goes all the way to the state championship. Sorry, spoiler alert. But that's the way all those sappy sports movies are, aren't they? Like Rudy and Mighty Ducks. Well, in Hoosiers, you know, this little basketball teams they've only got seven to eight players. And one of them is named Strap. He's a farm boy, son of, a, son of the town preacher, very religious kid, but he's the lousiest player on the team. Coach never puts him in the game. But on the road to the state championship, the team starts losing players to, you know, injuries and fouls, and coach has no choice but to put Strap in the game. Everyone but the opposing team hoped Strap wouldn't get the ball and take a shot. But Strap surprises them all. He catches a pass and, you know, a couple of other plays and some things. You know, I don't remember every play, but you know where this is going, and if, even if you haven't seen the movie. Strap single-handedly wins the game, right? How original is that? But what he says afterwards is priceless. Everybody's shocked, and the coach says, Strap, what's gotten into you? And the kid says, the Lord, I can feel his strength. What a cheesy line in a sports movie, right? But it's true. It can be true. You know, what got into us when we confessed Jesus Christ as our Savior at our confirmation, right? What got into us to be able to articulate if your pastor made you made some statement of faith or an essay or something, you know, what got into you? To be able to do that, I bet you you didn't do that before. Probably came to church and said the prayers and went through the service and all that. But at confirmation, you made, you know, you confessed your faith. What what got into us? Yeah, the Holy Spirit, Leo, that's correct. I think we've all been asked that at some time of our lives. What's gotten into you, you know, when we didn't do the expected sinful thing? And what is yet to come when someone asks, what's gotten into you? You know, you can respond like Strap, the Holy Spirit. You know, we may not always feel his strength, but the spirit of the risen Christ, who's bound up the strong man, the old Adam, and defeated every dark power, he's gotten into you and me. And he saves you. And uses you to comfort and build up others. That's a great thing. Now, there's another spirit who resides in us. And I just mentioned him. The other spirit has lost. He's defeated. But he doesn't give in quickly or easily. The old sinful person in us. Our inheritance from Adam and Eve. He clings 
and he claws and he fights like hell to bring you and me down. And that old spirit must die. Every day it must die. That's why we are baptized. Thank God we're baptized. But what do you remember when you were baptized? Think back all the way to where when you were an infant or five years old or 12 years old or all grown up, uh, such as in my case. Do you remember what we did right before the pastor poured the water on us and said the words? I remember because I was older, but if you were too young to remember, your parents or someone who cared for your soul said the words in your place. The pastor said, Do you renounce the devil? And you said, yes. Do you renounce his works? And you said, yes. Do you renounce his ways? And ways doesn't mean the devil's ways out there in the world. Ways means in here, his ways in here. Do you renounce the urge urge to yell and scream at people? To do harm, to cheat them, to steal from them, abuse them, abuse yourself, harm yourself, mark yourself with some other markings other than the markings of baptism God has put on you. Do you renounce all those ways? Do you renounce the devil's ways in here? And we said yes. Three of our young people are going to be confirmed at the 1045 service. That's what confirmation is, you know. An opportunity for them to say, yes, we said it too. Yes to the good work God started in you at your baptism and confirmation to do all through your life. Every day we can remember our baptism. Every day we must renounce the old ways. Every day we lean into our possession by the Holy Spirit of our Lord Jesus. And every day we move forward in His loving and gracious power of forgiveness of sin and life that lasts forever. It's a good deal. So, Father in heaven, for Jesus' sake, I ask you to stir up in these, your people, your Holy Spirit, confirm our faith, guard our life, empower us in our serving, and give us patience and suffering, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And may you continue being possessed by the Holy Spirit. Amen.